Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for all of you listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. This is Justin Hahnemann. This is the Contender Cast, and our mission is simple to shine a light on bright ideas. And today we're going a little bit into the world of technology. And before all of you hit skip or pause that you think that you know a technical conversation could be boring or not interesting, I will tell you continue to play the podcast because you're really going to enjoy today's conversation. My guest is Bill Franks. And some of you know Bill, and I'll, I'll provide a little bit of his background in a minute. But Bill, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Bill and I, um, well, and I didn't explain this on other podcasts, but I actually started my career working in uh, the analytics space and working around data and performance management. I've mentioned on other podcasts my work at Coca-Cola, and that's actually where I, I met Bill. He wasn't working there at the time, but we ran into each other over time at different conferences and events and presentations we were giving together. And over time, we've developed a great relationship. And he is truly like an expert in analytics. And so, um, that's what we're talking about today. And we're going to we're gonna define it. Um, we're going to dive into what some of the trends are in the space. And believe me, if, if you don't think analytics is important in your life, I promise you by the end, you'll feel that analytics is part of every part of your life. So, we're excited that you're with us, Bill. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. So, um, you know, we drive around town, we see billboards for colleges and universities uh, launching analytics programs. We, many of our companies are recruiting this, these data scientists and, and strong business analytics individuals. But why don't we start with just define what analytics is today, and then let's talk about where it's come from. Yeah. I mean, I think if you get to, to keeping it very, very simple, analytics is simply uh, making use of data to make better decisions. And that could be the use of data in a business context to set better pricing or to uh, be more efficient in how you're delivering product. It could be in your personal life. People do this all the time. You're looking, you mentioned universities. You're looking to go to a university and you've got a, you know, a kid in high school. Uh, you probably go and get a lot of data and look at test score trends and look at j- job salary trends, et cetera. So I think, uh, you know, analytics, it's, it's that simple. And, and what's happened in recent years has been there's been a proliferation of both uh, what data and the amount of data being captured, but also the ability to store and then have available for analysis that data. So it's just become something that's gone from a either you're, you know, an academic research with access to strong resources or a large company, it, it, it's now really available to everybody. Right. And it's become a huge priority um, for large companies, small companies, and then the services and technology companies that support and enable those those businesses. And therefore, that's then fed down to the colleges and universities that are now trying to feed talent into into that space. So, what are the types of skill sets that you find that are most relevant for someone that might be jumping into an analytics type career? So, analytics in general, you're going to probably have to have some capabilities when it comes to math and statistics and and programming. If you're going to be, let's say, on the ground, actually executing analytics, it's going to be hard to avoid those skills. Now, for people that are going to be more on the strategy side, um, that are going to be more around positioning, what sorts of analytics ought to be done, and, and, and how would you actually make use of those analytics, you don't necessarily have to be as deep technically, but you're still going to have to understand some of those, uh, you know, some of those fundamentals. On top of any of those roles, though, and, and this is something I've written about, 
a lot of the most important aspects to being successful aren't really the technical aspects, but it's it's some of the softer aspects in terms of being able to understand the problems that need solved and appropriately defining those, being able to explain what could be very complicated analytics to people who have no understanding of how that works and are intimidated by that and convincing sure. them to still change what they do when their job's on the line as a result of that. So I think you've got to be basically a good people person and, and a, a good person when it comes to, to math and programming if you're going to have the best chance to succeed. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, when I joined Coke, it was to build out their or to work with a team to build out their North America analytics platform. And every time I start that conversation with someone, they assume it was in IT. And actually, it was a business facing role and team. And as you know, Bill, and we were focused on, you know, what were the are the business applications or needs of, let's say, an account team that's managing Target, for example, um, what data do they need? What kinds of insights do they need? So they can put the right product in store, they can prevent out-of-stocks, they can make the relationship with that client or that customer um, even better and maybe help them to make more money. And so, to me, that's what I've always loved about analytics is just the, is the business side, the business value side of using information to drive decisions. And you and I, and you were the chief analytics officer at Teradata, so we had an opportunity to work together there. And Again, another company that you would assume, you know, most people there are are techie and uh, tech heads and love it and appreciate it. But I mean, our role was focused on business value and having a conversation with business decision makers. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think that's one one thing I always laugh about, too, is all the universities that are rolling out programs five, six years ago, there were a handful of analytics programs in the country. And now I think it's almost harder to find a university that doesn't have something, uh, at least that they've slapped that label on it, even if it's 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 rather unofficial um, because it's so hot. And I, and I you know, if you look at it, if, if you're a person thinking about a career change or you have kids looking at a career uh, for the next, you know, decade or more, I think analytics is going to continue to be a huge area of focus. I think the fact that all these schools are investing so much money in analytics uh, programs is a testament to the demand, really, because at the end of the day, the universities are building those out because they think people will pay to come and take those courses. And why would people pay to take those courses? Because they think they can get a job because the jobs are out there. So I think that's really the good news. And I think I saw recently I forget which of the big publications it was, did the survey, uh, and it was on the front page of the USA Today, uh, three of the top five career jobs over the, the next several years, three of the five were related to analytics. I wow. think it was a data scientist, a data engineer, and I forget what their third variation, but it was basically in that in that general family, which I think is pretty cool. Sure. And it's not just you're not just a math and science guy. There's a creative aspect to it, too, in terms of understanding information and how it could glean um, information and insights. Yeah, that creativity, again, is something I have written about and stress a lot. It's something that most people don't think about at all. But that's actually, I think, the uh, and, and this is what I put in my one book, was that the biggest uh, filter on it, it, people I would interview for a job wasn't their technical skills. It was actually their cre creativity. It wasn't even presentation skills because the creativity, when you get down to it, while analytics has a lot of math, to your point, there's creativity and 
how are you going to define the problem and how are you going to tweak the way you define it to account for the realities of 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 the data available and the business uh, the business practices that can't be changed yet still keep it relevant enough that you're you're getting to the heart of a real issue and then on the back end you know how do you get creative in terms of deploying a complicated process where you really need a lot of scale and maybe the optimal solution can't really scale so how do you you know how do you lose a little bit of your analytic power so you can scale it you know where it's still much better than you had there's a lot of creativity in figuring these things out and and that's something again often underrated but when you when you look around uh i i always comment and I challenge anyone here, go ask somebody who's a really well-known in data science or analytics or who you have a lot of respect for. And there's a reasonable chance at some point they were big into uh, music or art or some other kind of uh, creative, what's considered more creative endeavor. It's a very, very high correlation. It's surprising. I think that will be a surprise to most that are uh, listening to the podcast. Um, and, you know, you're a Virginia Tech guy. I'm a Georgia Tech guy. If you look at our programs, both of both of those programs today are certainly investing heavily in and in those types of um, analytics. And I know you're, you're, you also went to NC State for grad school and they also have made a big investment in that space. And I think the key is what's changed. So when I went to grad school, it was a statistics program in the literal sense of the <laughs> statistics word. Statistics and probability. Yeah. And it was an academic oriented math, sort of the math and science of right. statistics. The business application of it wasn't really addressed at all. I mean, I learned all that on the job. That, uh, that was my on the job training. The difference today, these analytics programs are taking and, and, and doing a hybrid of enough of the technical statistics, but also overlaying that with the business, uh, the business focus. So, it, it's a split. There's a lot of analytics programs that are in the science schools. There's a lot in the business schools. So anyone who's looking at them, they need to decide which is their preferred skew in terms of more business and less less technical or more technical, less business. Yet uh, a huge chunk of the programs, regardless of where they're sitting, are incorporating uh, things from uh, different uh, different parts of the university. So like NC State, who had the first one, actually implemented their analytics program as a, as a separate institute where they exactly. pulled professors from the business school and the science school. And that's, a, uh, again, different and a recognition of the, the, the array of skills that are required for analytics. So, all right, let's make this real for, for our listening audience. So, um, let's talk about some of the trends in analytics and how that's playing out or, or how that could play out, for example, in the world that we all live in today. So, I'll throw out a, a first one. Let's talk about like artificial intelligence. So, you've worked with a lot of big companies or and small companies, but like how does artificial intelligence play into the analytics space and where would be, what would be like a real world application that you're seeing trending now? Yeah, so artificial intelligence, I, I think, has uh, become probably in the last year the hottest, most popular analytics topic. So it has it has gone from uh, obscurity would be the wrong word, but let's just say a low level of attention in the press and on a day to day basis to massively hyped right now. It's almost to the point where big data was probably five six years ago. I think that's based on the fact that a couple of trends have come together. The availability of the data on which to build artificial intelligence models obviously has increased, but the processing capacity and the and the cost effectiveness of it has just dramatically lowered the the entry points. Um, so in fact, one of my blogs recently talked about how uh, one common mistake, uh, it was called uh, deep learning, Einstein or Savant. Mm -hmm. Actually, a lot of the artificial intelligence uh, approaches today, they're much like Rain Man. 
They they are trained to be incredibly smart at one very, very specific and focused task, and they can do absolutely nothing outside of that and are actually quite ignorant even of the tasks that they're doing. So it's the ultimate brute force today. In other words, when deep learning and AI learn to play Pong, they don't understand <laughs> Pong. They don't understand. They don't even know there's a ball. What they do is literally trial and error their way into figuring out a strategy. And without the processing power and the, the ability to iterate and iterate and iterate, think about what it takes to luck your way into becoming a good Pong player. That's where we are today. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so a lot of power comes from what's really still very simplistic under the hood in terms of trial and error. But that's why I think there's so much potential. They're continuing to advance the algorithms and they'll get better and better. And so that I think we're going to see a lot from AI beyond today. It's being used heavily for things like image recognition, voice recognition uh, on the web, you know, Facebook, when you're they're, yeah. they're tagging things uh, you can go out now. They're they're having scenarios where uh, uh, working on for the self-driving uh, no, car, car cases sure. where yep. it's looking at the video feed and tagging. This is a person with ninety percent probability. That's a tree with eighty nine percent probability, et cetera. So that's where we uh, where where we're starting to see some real world applications. But it's going to be big. Sure. And then um, another trending topic in the space: machine learning, very much linked to. AI, what are you seeing as far as the machine learning space? Yeah. So, you know, in a way, all these definitions can get muddied somewhat, depending on where you look. Some people- Even the like, word analytics, right? Yeah. I mean, it's part of digital or is it not? And yep. Good question. I, I think it comes down, it's the classic hype thing. There are there are scenarios where AI makes a lot of sense today sure. and it can add a lot of value. Um, there's a lot of a lot of scenarios where you're probably still better off to use some of your classic machine learning or statistical techniques, and I think uh, I think that that comes down to it. I see AI as a uh, as a great tool to add into the mix. I don't know that it's going to be the replacement for everything else by any stretch. Um, but when you when you look at it, the trend overall and the challenge um, is around. Moving analytics from what had been traditionally an offline over to the side activity, now with the with not just the scale of analytics required, but the number of decisions required, we're we're having to embed those analytics more closely to the business processes and actually get it to where, you know, the analytics are happening in a somewhat automated fashion, just making decisions and you know cranking through the data, making a decision and moving on to the next one. And, sure. and, and where people would collide with that most frequently would be as they navigate the web. When you hit the next button or you click yes. on a link, yep. there's analytics being done even before the page loads to impact what graphics and ads, et cetera, show up on that next page. Yep. You can't do that unless you've really embedded it. And that, that was actually- And we all take that for granted, right? <laughs> and we do take that for granted. And that was the focus of my book, The Analytics Revolution, was around this, uh, this trend of operationalizing or industrializing analytic processes. That's another big trend because of, you know, a lot of these uh, businesses, like if you're an Amazon, sure, it has to be embedded into everything they're doing because it's all very much real time customized, et cetera. And so that, that sure. that's a big, another big trend is that's continuing even in more traditional businesses. They're, they're wanting decisions to just happen and uh, to incrementally improve uh, the performance of a supply chain or of a marketing sure. campaign without having to continually intervene on every decision point. That's good. Okay, perfect. So we got AI, artificial intelligence, ML, <laughs> machine learning. Let's talk about another good acronym, IOT, the Internet of Things. Very exciting space. It's one that's evolved, I think, quickly in different industries. So um, what's your per perception of IOT today and where it's going, how it's impacting those of us that are listening? Yeah, IOT is another huge 
uh, huge topic with, uh, well, a lot of potential to change our world. And I think it's starting to do that, but also a lot of potential for some really awesome analytics. So today, when you look at IoT, the amount of data is staggering that the IoT puts out. So there's a challenge in deciding you know, what data from IoT is even relevant. So if I have a, a temperature sensor and a car engine, yep. do I really need to know every millisecond or sub-millisecond <laughs> the temperature, temperature is, or right. is knowing every second or even every five seconds going to be good enough from a pragmatic perspective? That actually isn't a trivial question because by the time you have millions of cars and and dozens of, of, of readings, that makes orders of magnitude difference in how much data you're capturing. But the cool part is, we're already seeing things like what's called, uh, you know, predictive maintenance. Sure. Uh, where, you know, you're able to actually monitor an engine or a piece of equipment on an assembly line in real time. Sure. It's identifying when there's some, you know, unusual increases in pressure and rises in temperature, et cetera, and then flagging and saying, hey, something looks to be going wrong. You might want to take action versus the old days. We would have either seen smoke coming out of the engine or it would have frozen up and we would have gone and diagnosed on the back end. Oh, we can see what's happening. And so, you know, that leads to a lot of productivity and cost savings um, in our homes now already. There's there's things you can buy that it's not just that you can remotely set your your heating and cooling, but these systems now have some ability that they'll kind of learn your habits and know that when you get home at this time, you prefer a certain temperature and you want to hear a certain radio station and that you're going to want to, you know, maybe have the lights in one room on, but not the other based on where you sit. It's all these little things where the combination of the IOT data and the analytics are going to, are going to impact not just business, sure, but, uh, you know, just your day-to-day life. No question. All right. So, um, our next one is not an acronym personalization. So in my world, what that typically revolves around is um, different types of marketing campaigns, different types of experiences on website, different types of experiences through mobile app. Um, but there's a lot of data and analytics running behind it. So what are, what are you seeing in that space? Well, I think it's, it's, it's becoming ever uh, increasingly possible to personalize in really intriguing ways based on having more information. So, you know, 10 years ago, we would have been talking about the revolution of having, you know, web data and and your your clickstream data of how you navigate a website available. Well, now, you know, they're able to, to, to monitor even where are you hovering with your mouse, even though you didn't click it, obviously you moved your mouse over, left it there, you thought about clicking. And then they can, in a research setting, they'll literally watch people's eyeballs and they're able to track exactly where did the eyeballs look. And by the time you bring even a few thousand people in and and watch them as they navigate a site, that feeds back into then the design of realizing where people prefer to see things, where they don't, what caught their eye, what didn't. And then that fits into how they they customize and, and uh, personalize moving forward. I think the flip side of all this is the the privacy issues that surround a lot of this data right. start to get pretty scary as well. So I'm wearing a Fitbit. Yep. You know, do I we really too. want, yeah, do we really <laughs> want, other, you know, uh, general people to know How some many of our physical activity taken? and what our average heart rate is? Because, <laughs> right. you know, that's a little dicey. Do we really want everybody to know uh, uh, every video that we've ever watched and for how long on YouTube? Sure. Uh, you know, people, uh, when they're using it for their own business, it's okay. But we're, you know, the trend now of people sharing some of this data, yep. I always like to say people need to be very aware when they, when they install those free apps or use those free web services, they're not actually free. There's two ways they make money. They either give you just enough to get you to then buy the full version. Right. And often in addition to that, 
or in place of that, they're also serving up ads or other offers that have nothing to do with their game, but that they get paid if you click on it. And so at the end of the day, the way they do that is to use your data and even sell your data. A lot of those apps or websites, if you read the policy, you're giving up a lot of rates to data. So make sure you understand what you're giving up for that personalization, because if you don't, um, you know, you, you could be giving up more than, than you think you are. And for all the talk that <laughs> millennials and others really don't care, I still think- right. I still think people might care a little more if they fully understood what they were giving up. Sure. So you mean like Candy Crush? They like they know my game playing habits. I can't. Well, <laughs> I can't speak to the Candy Crush specifically. Dude, but I love such Candy, as Crush, Candy Saga. Crush. Absolutely <laughs> would track, and they built their whole game around that stickiness factor. Why sure. do you think they do? You get five lives every. Dude, you, you play know, it. And, you obviously play Candy Crush. I actually. <laughs> I actually posted, I never post personal things on LinkedIn. The only personal post I ever made <laughs> was when I had to break my addiction to that game. Uh, and I posted the screenshot of my, of, of right before I said, I'm deleting Candy Crush. I'm not deleting it. I'm at like level 1800 or something. Oh, it's are crazy. You? Yeah. Anyway. All right. We're way off topic. So, um, <laughs> one more trend and then, um, we'll get towards our wrap up, but, uh, this whole move of or in migration, and we'll talk technology just for a moment, but the migration to cloud capabilities, uh, the evolution of open source um, reporting analytic capabilities and whatnot. What are you seeing as far as trends there? I think that's a major disruptor for a lot of companies out there that are in the not only the kind of the data storage space, but in the the front end space. Well, yeah. So I think the cloud it, it's a huge disruptor and enabler both. So. A number of years back, let's say I wanted to start up my own little uh, retail uh, company. I mean, I would have been having to go out and rent store space and find suppliers and fill out paperwork. I mean, do all sorts of things. And even uh, even in, uh, you know, not too long ago to set up a, a e-commerce site was, you know, not hard, but it was relatively difficult. You'd have to put together a lot of stuff. Today with the cloud and, uh, and open source capabilities, I no longer have to buy my own big server to handle e-commerce. That's I no right. longer have to maintain and rent install. It, rent space. I can go out, I rent the space, I rent the software, I can stitch together uh, everything from at little widgets that handle payments to widgets that, that, that enable a website to display product. The point is that if you are even moderately uh, proficient from, uh, you know, in terms of some of the, the way that the website works and uh, and so forth, you can go and set up a new uh, e-commerce business for very, very low cost in a very, very short time frame. And that allows uh, all sorts of disruption because people can go, you know, you have a dream to, you know, my daughter has pet guinea pigs. If we wanted to open a guinea pig supply store, I could probably, if I took a week off work, have a fully functional guinea pig supply store complete with reporting on the back end set up. Now, would it be world-class? Probably not. Would I have world-class reporting? Probably but not. But the speed to set up is... I, the speed to set up. And I would have analytics that would rise what even a mid-sized retailer sure. would have had 15 years well, ago. Well, and you're not stuck with some of the legacy, very inflexible and very expensive hardware and software. Well, I think that's the advantage of the cloud. When you're renting the stuff to the extent that, you know, I guess legacy has some negative connotations. There's still a place for a lot of the classic uh, tools and those are now all available on the cloud as well. But the key is I can rent those. And if for whatever reason, I find another one that's that's uh, better. has better functionality yep. for me, the migration path is, a, is much simpler to move data from cloud platform A to B and then validate it's there and go. Then when again, I would have had to be buying very expensive equipment on site and have technicians coming in and manually transferring data. It's, uh, you know, the, the the cloud has enabled back to the AI. A lot of the capacity for the computing 
that supports AI is available on on the cloud. A lot of the new analytics techniques where the ground's being broken, it's because you know if you're a researcher in a university. If you only need for this very brief experiment, a massive amount of capacity, you can do it and it's cost effective versus, again, back years ago, you couldn't afford to go and buy 20 servers of capacity for your project, sure. especially when you only needed it for your final month of uh, of testing. So I think that's where the cloud, to me, ties together all of these, right? IoT is huge on the cloud. The way the data gets delivered through from IoT is, is over uh, the internet, and it's often at least initially landing in, in cloud-based uh uh, landing zones, et cetera. So, so when you put it all together, AI, cloud, operationalizing, sure. the growth of the need for the people. Leveraging I mean, is, for marketing. Yeah, this yeah. is an area that's here to stay. So you are now the chief analytics officer for the International Institute for Analytics, which is an, an awesome organization. So talk a little bit about that and the books that you published. Uh, I think that that's how you've really built your brand is in the space, but also being out and being a thought leader in the space. Yeah, so International Institute for Analytics, we are uh, a research and advisory firm where we uh, provide subscriptions to our clients. And we have a lot of large companies uh, that that and and small to mid-sized companies that work with us. We provide them research in the analytics space. We provide uh, webinars. We have client-only events uh, that we do where we bring in thought leaders and we help them share amongst themselves. We've got a suite of maturity assessments based on some of the uh, research that's been done, um, and we do provide some what I call more of the advisory consulting. We don't we don't sell traditional products or or hard whether hardware software. We also don't do the classic, I'll call it professional services implementation work, but we do help on analytic strategy. You need help developing a strategy, reviewing your strategy, figuring out how to make AI work, how to incorporate cloud. We do work uh, to help clients understand where they might go and then they 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 can go to the organizations that that focus on the execution of those. Yeah and you um, I, I'd say you know you were already well known in the across the industry in the analytics world but when you released Taming the Big Data Tidal Wave and then the Analytics Revolution. I mean, those two, to me were times when I saw you and you know, come from afar, um, growing in your brand in the industry, actually globally. Um, so talk about those books. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, they were both looking at th- this whole growth uh, trend that we're talking about. So, you know, Taming the Big Data Tidal Wave came out back when big data was still fairly new and really focused on what is it, what's it all about, what might you be you know what might you be thinking about, and I think a lot of it is, is is still relevant today. But of course, a lot of it that was sort of a oh, hadn't thought of that right. six years ago. Now people go well, of, you know, of course, a little bit because it's, sure. it's become more mature. Now the analytics revolution is one that uh, I think is is still hundred percent timely today because. Uh, three or four years ago, when I was actually in the process of physically writing the book, and you know, then it came out around three years, a little under three years ago, uh, it was really ahead of the curve. There were some companies operationalizing, but it wasn't a big focus. But uh, in, in the last year, it, it's a huge focus. Companies are now looking at: I've got to scale, industrialize, operationalize these processes. I've got to figure out how to engineer sure. the systems to work, how to build the analytics. So I think that's still a you know, again, a, a very relevant topic. Sure. And I know you've got another project coming up, a writing project that's um, not in the analytics space. You want to talk to that briefly before we go? Yeah. So that's something totally out of left field, which is, um, you know, a few years ago, my financial advisor had suggested that I write a statement of values for my kids, which he described as if you got hit by a truck and your wife did as well, and you weren't there to raise your kids. Uh, my kids were younger at the time, right? Right. You weren't there to raise <laughs> them as a teenager, et cetera, and instill in them the values 
values and the way that you thought they ought to live, what would you want them to know? And I realized that I had more than a letter and I actually, uh, coming out in September is going to be a book called, I need to tell you something. And it's, uh, it's basically, uh, a, a series of life lessons for my kids. I describe each lesson. It's about five minutes per chapter. What's important about respect versus popularity, for example? What's sure. important about understanding why you get an education and how the world is 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 a global competitive environment now? And then I give examples from my life where I've either done it well or not well or seen yep. someone else and, and some questions. So the whole idea is that parents would buy it for, say, a 12 to 22-year-old and ideally even read it, you know, sit down for a half hour, pick a chapter, read it, discuss That's great. it. Um, or you could just give it to your, your either your kids or, or, or family members or friends that uh, you're a authority figure for to sure. help them along the way. So. I love that. I, and so applicable in this day and time. Well, um, last but not least, where can our listeners find you and where can they follow you and how can they connect with you? Yeah. So uh, my website is just uh, www.bill-franks, bill-franks.com. On LinkedIn and Twitter, my abbreviation is BillFranksGA. Got it. Perfect. Well, hey, Bill, thanks for spending time with us today. This is awesome. Love analytics. For more information on today's topic or to access additional leadership content, tools, and resources, check out contenderbrands.com. Also, you can download other ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store and Google Play Store. And remember, every winner started as a contender. Contender.